Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, every team in every season kind of brings its own personality. And I think some of the curiosity for those of us who are fans or watch this stuff closely as media, whatever else, I think the curiosity about a brand new year is sort of the thought of, well, what will this particular team look like? Obviously, we're referencing the Georgia team in 2023, which begins its quest to go for three in 23 next Saturday when it starts against Tennessee Martin. <laughs> It'll get more interesting after that. But our first glimpse of all of this is next Saturday. And we're led to believe that some things will be as Georgia as they've ever been. And in some respects, there could be some aspects of this particular Georgia team that are just a little bit different than we've kind of gotten used to. Different, not necessarily good or bad, just different. It may just look a little bit different. And with that in mind, I thought it was really interesting to hear this week from the great former Georgia Bulldog, one of the best players in the history of this program, uh, David Pollack, who, as you know, kind of an odd decision by ESPN to kind of remove him from college game day and end uh, his tenure there with the network. But Pollock is still going to be around, still going to be talking college football apparently from time to time. And he was on the Greg McElroy podcast here this week. McElroy is obviously a, uh, you know, kind of a growing star over there in the ESPN world. He's got his own podcast talking about college football. And on that particular uh, show that McElroy recently did, McElroy was having David Pollock on the show and the subject of Georgia naturally came up and what Pollock had to say about the Georgia part of this was especially interesting with the idea that this year's Georgia team based on what it lost from a year ago based on the evolution of the personnel how that this year could just be a good bit different I want you to hear David Pollock on with Greg McElroy from the McElroy's ESPN podcast about why Georgia's going to look different this year defensively than it has in maybe either of its last two national championship seasons in 2021 and 22. This is David Pollock this week with Greg McElroy. I do think this defense will be built a little bit different. Um, I think when you saw this defense in the past, I think they could really get a lot of pressure from the interior. I think Michael Williams and company are going to be better on the outside. I think they'll have better pass yeah. rushers on the outside, I think they've recruited different types of body types now that will fit in interesting, that will be fun to watch it morph and change. But but you're absolutely right. But but you know what? When I go and I see these guys at practice and when I really look at them, there's so many good-looking bodies and there's yeah. so many guys that they can rotate. While they're not going to beat Jalen Carter, and listen, another thing, Bear Alexander left to USC. You right, know, he got right. who, who When you turn on the tape, you could see the flashes and the pass rush ability was really, really good. Um, but a guy you mentioned like Stackhouse – is a great guy to mention. He's like a three-star, four-star guy, you know, four-star guy that got recruited that you've seen develop. When I go and I watch those defensive guys along the front, they're all like that. I think they're they're all guys that have now been seasoned for several years. There's very few puppies that are going to play. A lot of guys with a lot of experience that I think will come in. And and we know the system's really really good. So what David Pollock is saying there on with Greg McElroy is not negative about Georgia in any way at all. It's just an evaluation that this year's team is going to look different, that the pass rush that you want more likely to come from the outside maybe than it has before. Now, some of that's because Jalen Carter's not here anymore. And Jalen Carter, I believe, as a rookie in the National Football League, is going to prove himself probably right away of being a truly dominant interior pass rushing force. I think it's hard to kind of put into words exactly how effective Carter was for UGA over the course of the last couple of years. Even on that team in 2021, in which Carter was a little younger, and you had you know three defensive linemen who would be taken in the next NFL draft immediately after that season, I think you can probably say that Carter was still the most overall talented player among that group and it's not a huge leap to say of the last two national championship teams for Georgia that Carter overall has been the most talented player to play at Georgia over the course of these last couple of seasons maybe Brock Bowers on the other side of the ball gives him a run for his money but you can make a pretty strong case that Jalen Carter has been the most talented player at Georgia over the course of the last couple of years he's gone the interior pass rush that he brought to the table that's sort of gone too and so what David Bollock says okay well if you're looking for that kind of havoc to be wreaked on defense then don't look inside as much as you may would have in the past because if you think about it 
Go back to 2021 when Dan Lanning was here still as defensive coordinator. When Georgia dialed up pressure, when they sent the extra pass rusher, oftentimes where did it come from? Came from the middle there as well. Lanning loved kind of sending those inside linebackers in blitz situations, sending them after the quarterback. That was always one of the areas in which Georgia was so dangerous. And David Pollock says now when you are looking for that Georgia pass rush, Look to the outside a little bit more. Look to Mikael Williams, who'll be a defensive end. Look to the outside linebackers, guys like Marvin Jones Jr. going into his second year. I believe he's now fully healthy. I believe he's ready to possibly explode onto the scene. Look for pass rush to come from traditional pass rush spots on the edge of the defense. We call these guys edge defenders. Some of them are defensive ends. Some of them are outside linebackers. But that's traditionally speaking in football where the pass rush comes from. From Georgia, for a multitude of reasons, that hasn't always been the case. Uh, But this year, David Pollock says, you may get a little bit more of a conventional pass rush from Georgia where dominant players on the edge, on the outside of this defense, they're being asked to get to the quarterback more because the personality on the interior of this defense is just a little bit different. As I said before, David Pollock in no way means that as a negative against UGA, but it does speak to, I guess, a little bit of a concern that Kirby Smart has perhaps had for his defensive line. And you can't help but have some of this going on when you don't have Jalen Carter here anymore. And listen, you got to be honest this about this as well. If Barry Alexander was still at Georgia, had he not transferred to USC, that's the sort of athletic defensive lineman that Georgia would have had a very high use for. And you can say what you want about Bear's personality and maybe some of the things that led him to go to USC and you know what that possibly says about Alexander. That's a fair conversation to have, I believe. But that doesn't change the fact that if Alexander was still here, he would be a part of the story for the Georgia defensive line. So Carter's departure, Alexander's absence, some of the other things that have gone on here have created a scenario where Kirby Smart is probably at least a little bit concerned about his defensive line, possibly not because of the inability of the players who play there, but the overall importance of the position to the overall success formula for Georgia if you get my drift about that in other words this may not be a bad defensive line but defensive line is so important that you've got to be as good there as you possibly can be so with that in mind and in light of what David Pollock was just saying let's go back to last Saturday for Kirby Smart asked about the overall depth of the Georgia defensive line and Smart didn't hold back with his belief that there are some concerns there about exactly how much depth Georgia has with the defensive line that David Pollock says is going to cause Georgia to do some things maybe different defensively this year than it's done in the past. This is Kirby Smart's take on that subject going back to Saturday. Yeah, we're not as deep as we've been. Um, we don't have the, the depth that we probably have had. Um, maybe that's a luxury compared to other people. I don't know. I, I think we, we, we've got to get deeper in that position. And the only way to get deeper in the position, you can't get anybody at this point. There's nobody coming out for waivers. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to grow the younger players and get your older players to play at a higher, higher level and even be able to play more snaps. So uh, without the same depth we had last year, um, we're going to have to be in better shape and we got to get the, the freshman ready to play. So Kirby Smart says an important thing there. He says, he basically alludes to the fact that our definition of not enough depth may still be considered a luxury for every other team in college football. And obviously, Smart's probably right about that, that no one's going to be crying for Georgia here right now about not having what Kirby Smart thinks is enough depth in its overall defensive line because Georgia probably still has more talented players along its defensive line than any other team in the country. More on that in a moment by the way but it does kind of speak to yeah but how good and how effective can these players be a top 10 pick like Jalen Carter is no longer here we're two years removed from three first round picks no longer being a part of this group you know a guy like Bear Alexander had the very high recruiting profile you know he's now gone he's transferred to USC more glory more individual attention but he's gone nonetheless guys like Jordan Hall and others are you know maybe Jamal Jarrett they're waiting to kind of grow into a bigger role right now they've got to hit the ground running and go through some growing pains and and get ready to be contributors so in the midst of all of that you've got good effective players like Zion Logue and Azir Stackhouse and and, and Warren Brinson who have kind of waited their turn to have more responsibility waited their turn to have a bigger spotlight on them and there are legitimately going to be questions anytime players like that step into larger roles but while those questions are fair to ask the guys who will be occupying those positions and occupying those spots are quite confident in their own ability to to step up and do just that I thought that Warren Brinson which I guess was his first media appearance as a uh, Georgia player 
I thought that Warren Brinson had some very interesting things to say yesterday. And obviously, as you would imagine, guys like Brinson, they've got the confidence that they can more than step in and fill in for what Carter would have provided last year. The other guys would have provided in 2021. Guys like Brinson feel like this can be their time to do just that. And apparently it's not just Warren Brinson who feels that way. It's Georgia defensive line coach Trey Scott who is instilling that belief in his own players. You know, the idea that this group here this year, defensive tackles in particular, can carry on the legacy of what's become a dominant group for the dogs. Warren Brinson had some great stuff to say about that yesterday. Let me let you hear a little bit of Brinson on that topic. Uh, we have a motto in our room. Coach Scott uh, always preaches that we all we got, we all we need. We know it's gonna be a it's gonna be a journey this season to work hard, to, to fill up the roles, to be able to push through and sustain throughout this whole season. So it's just uh, us putting forth our best foot to work hard and sustain and taking care of our bodies. Kirby Smart says, not quite so sure about the depth for this group here right now. Uh, Warren Brinson, not a clap back on Kirby, but just sort of a response to the general topic, says, hey, our coach Trey Scott says, all we've got's all we need. We're going to be ready to go later on in that same media availability. Uh, Brinson kind of talked about the notion that maybe Georgia doesn't have enough, whatever the phrase is, game records or whatever else. Brinson says he still thinks that Georgia's going to have plenty on that. It's worth going to the Dog Nation YouTube page to watch the full press conference with Warren yesterday for yourself. I think it'll be very much worth your time now let me kind of finish up this conversation by saying this that if you want to go back to david pollock's words a little earlier i think this is important what pollock is essentially describing is a traditional defense you know last year a guy like Jalen Carter was a very untraditional non-traditional player you don't typically see defensive tackles who are that dominant changing the game from the interior position like that that's just kind of a rare thing to see uh that's how talented Carter was truly a rare breed indeed this year's Georgia defense may be a little bit more traditional where the kind of stats and the glory, the individual attention, that may rest where in football it oftentimes does with the players playing on kind of the outside edge of the defense, defensive end, outside linebacker, which means the defensive tackles, the guys on the interior of that defense, they're still going to have a very important role, but it may not be the, the starring role that a guy like Carter had a year ago. But it's no less important for you, GA. I want to give you a couple of stats to kind of sort of put a point on this point. If you go back and look the last two years for Georgia, national championship teams, national championship defenses, what's the one thing that Georgia has been across the board undeniably stellar in in each and every one of those two seasons? It probably doesn't always get enough credit. Georgia essentially didn't yield anything on the ground. When it comes to rushing yards, something that feels a little bit like an unsexy topic in a day and age in which quarterbacks and wide receivers seem to dominate so much of the chatter, Georgia has taken away an offensive weapon from every team that it's played, and it's done so before the game even begins. Last year, Georgia was first in the nation in yards per game allowed on the ground. They were third in the nation in yards per rushing play allowed. That's a dominant defensive performance against the run, and it still matters. Go back to 2021. Georgia was second in the nation in yards per game allowed on the ground and second in the nation in yards per rushing play allowed. Over the course of the last two seasons, both national championship years for Georgia, this is a staggering number. Georgia's only given up a total of 10 rushing touchdowns in the last two years. That's the job of this Georgia defensive line here this year. It's not necessarily their job to be Jalen Carter. I'm sure it'd be cool if one of them did kind of emerge as an interior pass rusher. But Georgia's ultimate job, Georgia's prime directive when it comes to its defensive lineman up front is to take away the run. Because if you take away the run, if you dissuade coaches from even calling rushing plays because you know it's not going to work against Georgia, then as Kirby Smart has explained in the past, in the past, all of a sudden stopping the pass game becomes much easier to do. All of a sudden, you can drop guys back into coverage. You can send them after quarterbacks. You can do whatever you want to because you have taken away one of the legs of the opponent that you're trying to fight against. That's what the Georgia defensive line has done the last couple of years. When it comes to Nazir Stackhouse and Warren Brinson and Zion Logue and all the guys who will be asked to be rotational players providing that for Georgia again, my guess is those dudes are going to be more than equal to the task. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily. It's the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented by Breda Pass Management, and we're happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., across all platforms. Before that, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. Extra content for those who consume the show on our own platform. 
of course, we're on the radio in the afternoon and across all podcast platforms uh, there as well. Whatever platform you choose to use, just thanks for using it. And a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management who make it all possible. You know, Matt Breda and his entire team, they were with us this past weekend for high school football. will be with us throughout the season there as well. And that's the dedication they have to kind of our local community and the sports world. Uh, just good folks who kind of understand the way in which high school sports like that can be kind of a epicenter for community, sort of that, that kind of, you know, sort of cultural touchstone that everybody kind of gathers around and that's what Breda Pest Manage is a part of there as well in business since 1975 125 employees taking care of families who are out running around and doing sports and and living life and doing things like that and when you're out doing all those things the last thing you want to think about are termites or bugs or critters and gosh sometimes we get these crazy you know critters around the house flying squirrels things like that uh well listen you don't want to think about that. You're too busy enjoying your life. But Breda Pass Management thinks about that. And the dedication they've shown to, to kind of conquering those problems has gotten them a whole bunch of accolades. They've now been recognized as the official pest control provider of UG Athletics. That means Sanford Stadium, all the athletic venues uh, in Athens, there on the UGA campus, all taken care of and protected by our friends at Breda Pest Management. And that same level of protection, that same level of service that Breda gives to UGA, they can give to you as well. And not only is it kind of a cool piece of bragging rights to say, hey, my pest control company is the same as UGA's, not only that, the institutional strength that Breda's established can be leveraged for your benefit by putting more money in your pocket. You will save instantly just for making the decision put more money back in your pocket when you make that switch to braided pest manager for your termite protection and your pest control provision so please find them online it's bradapest.com let's make sure we have that website bradapest.com b-r-e-d-a bradapest.com make sure you get that today bradapest.com for more on that b-r-e-d-a bradapest.com all right, so coming up here in a moment, we're going to hear from Mike Griffith. It's going to be a fun conversation with Mike. He's been in Athens, obviously watching all the proceedings closely as Georgia closes out its fall camp, gets ready to begin the upcoming season, naming a starting quarterback, uh, putting some pieces together, healing up some injuries. We'll cover a lot of that ground with Mike Griffith here coming up in just a moment. Also, the first big college football game of the season is next Thursday. And there are a handful of games here this weekend. We're pretty excited about those. We'll probably talk more about those tomorrow. We're fairly excited about seeing Vandy in action and uh, USC and uh, Notre Dame. We're fairly interested in that. But what's going to happen next week, starting with uh, Utah, Florida on Thursday nights, far more interesting. There's a lot of movement, a lot of, lot, of, lot of projection changes, if you will, with that Florida-Utah game. We'll get to that here coming up in just a little bit prior to that though i want to go around the doghouse and it's poured today by our friends at dr pepper strawberries and cream and we're happy to have them as a part of around the doghouse and i want to be very uh i guess the word is like grandiose i want to give you the most optimistic assessment for georgia possible and i want to call upon one of the all-time great teams in sports to sort of help me do that now let me also kind of explain this further yesterday we tried to give the most realistic assessment for Georgia possible. And we talked about the Brian Kelly phrasing around the game against Missouri where Georgia played like he said a different word. I'll say garbage. Georgia played garbage, like garbage. Yes, they still found a way to win. And what I told all of yesterday, and this remains no less true, that what Kelly described there is likely going to happen again this year too, where at some point in time, over the course of a long regular season, even though Georgia on paper stands to be a sizable favor in every game, in all likelihood, some game like Missouri is going to pop up at some point in time, and you can't necessarily predict what it's going to be because if you could predict what it's going to be, it wouldn't like it wouldn't be like Missouri a year ago that came out of nowhere. Some sort of weird adversity is likely to strike out of nowhere, and Georgia's championship medal will be tested how it responds to that in that particular moment. That's just sort of the way the college football goes. Math is a funny thing. Georgia has about a 90% chance of winning what 10 or 11 of its regular season games at least a 75 percent chance of winning all of its games and yet its chances of winning all those games is still only about 21 22 percent math is just sort of a funny thing when you get into the overall analytics you may be an overwhelming favorite to win each game but that doesn't add up to an overwhelming favorite to win all the games college football is just tricky in that regard and for georgia that is likely true but it's not guaranteed to be true there is also a chance here that Georgia is, at least have to consider this a possibility, that Georgia is just more dominant than anything that we've seen ever in college football history. 
And I'm reminded of something that Kirby Smart said back in July on the idea of Georgia going for, as we say around here, go for three and 23. You know, Minnesota did this way back in the 1930s, but nobody really cares about that. No one really even knows anything about that, nor do they really care to learn anything about it. It's just something that happened almost a century ago, almost totally irrelevant. And so what Kirby Smart has said is, okay, when it comes to our players, if they're not that motivated by what the Golden Gophers did back before any of us were born, most of our parents weren't even born, if we um if, if that's not particularly relevant for georgia then what about something they may have heard of a lot of these players have seen the last dance that was the documentary that was very popular a couple of years ago they know about michael jordan if they're smart they recognize him as the one true goat and because of that uh these players might care a little bit more about the three peat the three straight championships that the bulls put together over the course of two different eras there in chicago for michael jordan and kirby smart kind of talked about that back in july and i think what he said then is relevant for us today let's hear kirby on that from a few weeks ago as a way of kind of setting us up for the next phase of our conversation today here's kirby we've certainly uh, looked at some some three-peat scenarios of teams like the Bulls and different sports teams that they might actually know about. No offense to the Minnesota 1935 team, but I don't know if it's going to resonate with my audience. So uh, we're, we're going to try to, you know, I, I, I don't care about the three-peat, the two-peat, or the one-peat. I care about complacency. And if the focus is on that and outcomes, I think the rest will take care of itself in terms of, of allowing our guys to focus on, on, on being the best they can be. So the point that I'm getting to is this. If you go back and look at that era of the Bulls, especially that second era of the three-peat, the second three-peat they put together, one of those teams won 70-something games, 70-something games in an 82-game season. They were just unquestionably, undeniably dominant, arguably in the very, very short list of the best single-season teams in the history of sports. And those kinds of like single-season levels of dominance don't come around very much, but they do come around. And y'all – I think those of us who are Georgia fans now the Georgia coaches and players they can't really talk like this because you know they got you know win the day or whatever the, the phrasing is for this particular year but there's no reason why we can't be honest about this that while college football has not gotten easier overnight not easier to predict not easier to navigate there is also a chance that this is just a Georgia team that kind of stands far above anything we've ever seen in the past it is not statistically likely this is true but it is statistically possible that Georgia could be a team on par with what the Bulls would have been in the 1990s. Was it the 90, Was it the 97 team that won the 70-something games? I forget which one of those three years they won the 70-plus games, but you're talking about a single-season level of dominance unlike really anything that had ever been seen in any kind of modern time in sports. And Georgia could be ready to do that again. Now, if you don't believe me, let's talk about the evidence we have in front of us. The other day, once again, to go back to SEC media days, when the all-SEC team was announced, by the media back in July, Georgia had nine players on the All-SEC first team. Nine players. And yesterday, the coaches had their turn at bat on this. They announced their own All-SEC team. And this time, Georgia had 10 players on the All-SEC list. In fact, I want to show you this on the screen here for a moment. You'll see all of the uh, total All-SEC selections. Dogs placing 14 on, on there, but 10 of those are on the first team alone. And by the way, you know, Georgia kind of crying poor about, oh, we don't have enough depth along the defensive line. Guys like Nasir, Nasir Stackhouse are expected to be first team all SEC defensive line here. So, you know, kind of keep that in mind uh, just for a moment that, that whatever depth concerns you might have about Georgia on the defensive line, you're still included guys projected to be first team all SEC there. So once again, very few of Georgia's rivals going to be crying poor on all of all of that as it relates to Georgia. But that's a different point for a different day. The main point here right now is I'm going to tell you something that you perhaps have heard me say before. If that's true, if Georgia has 10 first-team All-SEC players, there's no point in even playing this season. The results of the games won't even be close. And I'm not talking about the overmatched non-conference schedule or the uninspiring regular season schedule. I'm talking about the whole shooting match. If Georgia has 10 first-team All-SEC players, this season will will be one of the most dominant runs towards another national championship ever seen, and Georgia will put the finishing touches on the most successful three-year stint of any program in the history of the sport. Now, college football is not designed to be that easy, so perhaps it won't be that easy for Georgia either. But if they have 10 first-team All-SEC players, it will. And you say, well, I don't know that I necessarily think they will have 10, or I don't know that I necessarily think they will have what the media says they'll have and have nine. Okay, if they come even close to having that, because keep in mind, previous Georgia teams 
the last two years have had somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five, right? You're talking about this team potentially having essentially double the number of first-team All-SEC type players, which is also a projection in many cases. First-team All-SEC typically equates to being future first-round draft pick. You're talking about Georgia essentially having almost double the future NFL draft capital on this team that would have been seen at high levels in the 2021 and 2022 team. So I'm not saying you should take this projection and take it to the bank or you should formulate your own opinion around it. Here's all I'm saying. Just consider the possibility of what if this is true? What if Georgia does have something close to 10 first-team All-SEC players? Or as the media said, nine first-team All-SEC players. If some version of that is even close to being true, then this season for Georgia is going to be something to behold. And that is around the doghouse. And it's poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream. Now, Dr. Pepper is also something for me to behold because I love it. And as soon as our show's done today, and this is true for me every single day, race to the fridge, pull out a Dr. Pepper, feel like I've earned it after hopefully a, a good show, sit back and relax and enjoy that. And when you do the same thing, I want you to give the brand new flavor offering from Dr. Pepper a try. I'm talking about Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream and Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, zero sugar. This is an awesome new choice when you're looking at Dr. Pepper and when you're going to shopping at your local Kroger or wherever you're doing your grocery shopping, you're going to see Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, zero sugar. I hope you'll try it. It's a permanent flavor offering. Anytime Dr. Pepper introduces a new beverage flavor like this, it's always a really big deal. And this has already been treated as a very big deal. Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, zero sugar. Happy to have them bringing around the doghouse to us here today. And tomorrow, get a chance to hang out with the folks from Dr. Pepper a little bit, which I'm very excited about. So looking forward to that and looking forward every day to having a little Dr. Pepper around here and some Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream and Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream, zero sugar. All right, we're going to keep the Georgia conversation going here right now. Before we're done, there was news yesterday as relates to a five-star prospect. Uh, Now, I'm not talking about Julian Lewis, although I guess we'll squeeze that in here too. Uh, There is some criticism today for how one major entity has treated one of Georgia's SEC rivals, the biggest rival of them all. We will join in on that criticism. So we'll give you all of that here coming up before we're done. But for now, all SEC team dominated by Georgia players, the conclusion to Georgia's fall camp, the start of the, I guess you'll call them preseason practices with the games kicking off next Saturday. Let's cover all of that ground here with Mike Griffith as we do a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with him here on Dog Nation Daily today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Welcome in. Mike Griffith here for a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report on Dog Nation Daily here today. And Mike, before you joined us, I was talking about the 10 Georgia players on the first team All-SEC, courtesy of the coaches yesterday. You media folks gave them nine first team selections just a few weeks ago. And the point that I made, Mike, is is that college football didn't magically get easy overnight. It's not easy to predict, nor is it easy to navigate a season. But if Georgia really does have 10 first-team All-SEC players, then this season will be easy. They will march untouched towards a national championship, and it'll likely be the most dominant single-season team we've ever seen. That is a gigantic projection for Georgia. Frankly, if even a portion of that comes true, if they even come close to matching that from a first-team All-SEC total, then we're talking about a real psych to behold here starting in a couple of weeks. What did you make of all the SEC love for Georgia players once again on that all-SEC team that was released yesterday? Well, I mean, it's something where we're used to seeing Alabama get those sort of accolades. I think even last year, Brandon, if you go back and look, Alabama had a lot of first-team guys, and and now the expectations are here. You know, and, and to your point, a lot of people do expect Georgia to win a national championship. You know, I had Chris Doring on Dog Nation, uh, one of our Dog Nation channels earlier this week, and he predicted a three-peat, former Florida guy, talking big stuff about Georgia. So I think it's um, a lot based off of last year, honestly. Uh, To your point, I think you said projection. That's what it is. But but Kirby Smart has earned that respect, and uh, a lot of these players have earned that respect where a lot of people expect them to come back and be the best once again. Of the names you kind of see in that all-SEC conversation, what's interesting to you, I guess, uh, a guy that you absolutely think you know should be there or a guy that's maybe not on there that you think can be a part of that discussion by the end of the year? Of the individual names themselves, what's interesting to you right now? 
Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty much the same stuff we canvassed with the All-American team, right? I mean, we had how many guys that, that made first-team All-American? You know, just a staggering number. I mean, it's good to see Lad McConkey, um, you know, continue to get recognition, in my opinion. Um, you know, this is a guy I don't think anybody ever thought was going to be an All-SEC performer, and, and he is, whether you think he's a first-teamer or a second-teamer. Uh, he's he's become something. Uh, you know, some of these guys weren't supposed to. You know, five stars like Malachi Stark, okay, we expected that. Like Joe Williams, we we knew coming in. Uh, but you see guys that maybe weren't projected as five stars that continue to grow in the Georgia program and just the way that Kirby Smart has developed talent. I think it's interesting, though, of all the positions, we're not talking about running back. This is supposed to be RBU, and we're not, we're not talking about running back. So it's interesting, you know, how Georgia's kind of gotten away from RBU and, um, you know, become known for other things. Yeah, they've certainly thrown it better the last couple of years, and that obviously contributes to that. And I guess the more optimistic appraisal of the potential running game for this year, and I certainly agree with you that it's probably the number one concern for Georgia right now some of that injury related some of that just you know just curiosity about what you may see from the players on the field but the one thing I do feel quite confident in I think the all SEC team reflects this I think this is going to be a very good Georgia offensive line I think that's an underrated aspect of the last two national championship teams now whether the Joe Moore award will ever giving or get around to giving them the award I don't know but if the Georgia offensive line is as good as I think it can be, as good as this preseason All-SEC projection once again suggests that it will be, then hard for me to imagine the rushing game won't benefit from that. Will this be 2017 or 2018? No, probably not. But will it be enough to get the job done? If the offensive line is this good, that certainly helps in that cause. Oh, there's no question. And, you know, as for the Joe Moore, it's, it's a regional bias. You know, you look at the voters, and so many of those guys are former Big Ten guys. I mean, Cole Kubelik did everything but say he voted for Joe. I mean, he's not allowed to reveal his vote, but he only has one. But, I mean, it, you know, his SEC guy receives it, but he's only one vote. And I, I think he's been frustrated, you know, with the, the panel uh, being so many Big Ten guys. So, you know, that, there's always inherent issues with award committees. You know, we've talked about Heisman Trophy votes in the past, and, different biases in different regions and things like that that's a to me that's an issue with the joe moore it's a great award but the you know the award committee is definitely uh, made up of a lot of people from the midwest and that's why michigan you know continues to kind of get to and i think they ought to wait till after the season uh but but dialing it back to what you said um i mean gosh i asked Marius yesterday mary smims you know just how big is he now six eight three thirty five brandon six eight three thirty five with 17 percent body fat I don't know if there's been a guy that's ever looked the part of an ta- offensive tackle better. And, and he's so athletic. Um, I mean, just what a mod. Can you imagine lining up across from this Georgia offensive line? Um, I mean, even Warren Brinson, um, you know, was talking about how, how this offensive line, you know, wins every scrimmage. Or, I mean, don't they use those exact yeah. words, but he, he, I mean, he made it very clear how much respect the D line had. And I said, oh, my goodness. Um, my how things have changed. Um, you know, he had five first rounders on that defensive line over the last couple of years, and you know now this offensive. The only thing I'll say that concerns me a little bit about all this is looking at the schedule. When are we really going to know, Brandon? Like, when are we really going to know how? I mean, of course the defensive line will look good in September. Of course it will. Of course everything. Ever the running game will look good in September. Carson Beck will look good in September. But when are we really going to know how good this Georgia team is? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, we've all had our turn kind of talking about the, uh, you know, the regular season schedule for Georgia. And when you think about what you get to November, if you want to talk about, you know, defensive line, rush defense, what Quinn John Judkins, you know, brings in with Ole Miss, you know, obviously stopping Tennessee, running or throwing, I guess, a big challenge. But I would put myself in the camp of, I think the South Carolina game in September is more interesting than it's given credit for. And I don't think South Carolina is good enough to keep it close with Georgia, but I think it's a more interesting game than it's given credit for, especially if the Gamecocks were to beat North Carolina in week one, something they could do. I believe the Auburn game, uh, I've been talking about this for months now. I believe that big road test uh, in September, I also think that's a more interesting challenge. I guess in a roundabout way, Mike, here is where I am on the Georgia schedule right now. I think by the time Georgia plays Ole Miss and Tennessee, there is a very good chance that neither of those games, the two preseason ranked teams that Georgia's currently playing, there's a chance that neither of those games feel as big then as they do now. But conversely, I think games like 
South Carolina and Auburn, I would mention. There's a lot of buzz lately around Kentucky. Maybe other folks might mention them. Some of those games might actually be a little bit bigger uh, in the early stage of the season than people think they're going to be. So schedules have a way of evolving as the season plays out. And I guess that's where my mind is right now about the possible evolution of the Georgia schedule here for this season. Yeah, I think you're right. I think some of those, you mentioned Kentucky. You know, I think Kentucky is going to, you know, I'm hearing more and more about Kentucky and the offensive court. And that quarterback does apparently, you know, sounds like this guy's going to pan out there. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe Kentucky, I don't know if I'd say they're a bigger threat than Tennessee, but maybe that, that you know, and Missouri, certainly Missouri's front seven. They gave Georgia trouble last year. Again, it's in Sanford Stadium. That's good. That's good news. Um, you know, Kirby's won 10 straight against ranked opponents in Sanford Stadium. Only lost one game to a ranked opponent in Sanford Stadium his entire career at Georgia, which is already going into year eight. I guess, and, and I'm with you. I, I agree with about the Auburn game as well. Uh, I guess my thought is though that I don't I don't know about a, you know I don't want to say a false sense of security, but you know we're not talking about and it's so ridiculous how high we've set the bar, but we're not talking about this defensive line being effective against this SEC schedule. We're, we're asking if they're going to be effective when they play Ohio State or Michigan in the playoffs. And, and that's so far down the road. It's so ridiculous. But that's the way this Georgia team is now. I mean, I, I think we're all looking for the three-peat. We're all wondering if there could be another national championship. And um, they may be good, but, you know, is there a team on the rise that's going to come out of nowhere? Um, you know, I think about Alabama in 2021. And, you know, I'm sitting there watching Auburn and Alabama, and it's 10-3 to in the fourth quarter, Brandon, yeah. before Bryce Young gets his first touchdown. And so we go to Atlanta just knowing that George is going to kill him with this prolific defense. And Bryce Young puts 41 on the board. You're like, what in the world just happened in one week to the best defense that I've ever seen Georgia have? So nothing's predictable. Um, nothing comes easy. It's the SEC, to your point. Maybe you're right. Maybe South Carolina turns out to be more interesting than, than a lot of people like myself are I just think back last year, they played in Columbia and they beat them by over 40 points. It yeah. really wasn't much of a game. No, you know, you're right about that. I mean, when you, <laughs> when you want to go back and look at the absolute – you know, most obscene and brutal, not safe for like children <laughs> performances from Georgia a year ago, like the South Carolina game. I, I am generally speaking higher on the market than South uh, the, on South Carolina. A lot of people are, but what Georgia did to South Carolina a year ago uh, should be banned. Like, like there's no, there's no two ways about that. Uh, there's no evidence for an improved South Carolina on the basis of that game. They did play better after that for most of the year, but what Georgia did to South Carolina was as mean as what they. Did to anybody all year long well it was it was reminiscent of what 2017 georgia did to tennessee with peyton manning attendance when they checked the stadium remember i remember going on the show with you that week and saying this georgia team is going to win the national championship and you said do not jinx this mike so i'm <laughs> telling you what they did to tennessee and neyland stadium with peyton manning in attendance and the checkerboards was just brutal and i even said that day i said what is tennessee doing checkerboarding their game against this georgia team if they've not been watching, this is going to get so bad. This is going to fire Georgia up so much. And they did. They Oh, my gosh. They just destroyed. And that's what South Carolina felt like. You know, I was like, oh, you know, Spencer Rattler this, Spencer. And I do think he's fantastic. But he looks like a peewee quarterback. I mean, they were just over. They wanted out, Brandon. The stadium was more than half empty. By the, by the start of the second half, they wanted out of there. Nobody wanted to stick around except for, you know, the twenty five or 30,000 Georgia fans, that was brutal. And I wonder, you know, how bad is it going to get against UT Martin? How bad is it going to get? You know, what is Kirby going to do? Is he going to turn? Is Bobo going to show everybody and, and throw the ball 50 times? Are they going to put 60 and 70 points up in these first two games, or do you think Kirby puts the brakes on it and, and you know, starts running the football, you know, midway through the third quarter with some of these reserve running backs? Yeah, I think it's a good question because, I mean, obviously, you know, I think a lot of Georgia fans think a team like this, they'd like to see them score, you used the word 70, you know, 60, 70 with more frequency. Maybe this is the year that, you know, perhaps might happen. Let me do one more thing on what you were talking about before we shift gears to the conclusion of fall camp. Talk about the defensive line. That's obviously been a hot topic. You know, Warren Brinson said some interesting things. Kirby Smart has talked about that. David Pollock has also talked about the defensive line. That's kind of the conversation that led off our show here today. But, Mike, the point that I have made, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this, is that ultimately this defensive line, if you think about defensive tackles, will make Mikel a little bit more of an edge rusher right now. If you think about the defensive line as defensive tackles, their ultimate job is stopping the run. And 
no team of the course the last two years has been better at that than georgia has been 2020 you kind of throw that out out the window because everything was weird in 2020 that's the one year in which georgia was not really among the nation's best in overall defensive line performance but go back and look at 2019 a team that i thought was pretty far removed from being a true national championship contender but they were also awesome against the run that year too to me mike as much of a given as anything that exists for georgia right now is this is a team that cuts off that leg to begin the game they are not going to give you a running game they're going to make you if you're going to beat them you're going to beat them one dimensionally through the air and good luck trying to do that when they know what's coming georgia just takes away the run i don't care if it is you know a little bit different you know name than we've had for this georgia defensive tackle group in the past I am still fairly confident that Georgia is going to be good against the run because Georgia is always good at stopping the run. Well, they are, and Kirby prioritizes it. And, and, you know, like you said, I mean, these guys, you know, Kirby said these guys are going to strike. These guys are going to play gap control. The the only thing I would say is that you don't lose Jalen Carter and not feel it. You, You don't take away a generational talent like that and it not hurt your defense a little bit because, like, Warren said yesterday, and his presence was felt all over the field. And, and really, Brandon, it was felt in the game planning. Like, teams knew coming in. If, if 88's out there, once he came back healthy uh, after that Missouri game, if 88's out there, you got a different game plan. And, and so a lot of your plays, you're not even running. You, it, it's over before it starts if, you, if 88's out there. Will this team affect the game plan in that way? And then I guess more specific to the Tennessee game, when we think about, and that, and that and to me was probably one of the most impressive Georgia football games I've ever seen. I mean, the score was 27-13. It might as well have been 50. They were, you know, Tennessee didn't have a play longer than 20 yards until there was like four minutes left and nobody cared. They, it was complete domination. It was one of the most glorious Georgia wins in history because the, the, a panel of experts had made Tennessee number one, which was just incredulous to me at that stage of the season. But they did. And then the Stetson Bennett. Anyway, uh, the way they affected Tennessee – the way they pushed the pocket, dented the pocket, and blew up a lot of that offense before it really got started, I don't know that they can do that with Nazir Stackhouse and Warren Brinson and Zion Logue. Also, it's on the it's on the road. Now, the Georgia fans were huge in that game, hugely disruptive. I mean, what were there, six false starts, something like you know four or five sacks. Ridiculous that the Georgia fans contributed, 88 contributed. The Georgia fans won't be there to make things really loud on the Tennessee quarterback. Jalen Carter won't be there. That's where I get into the deep weeds. Now, eleven, the other eleven games of the year, I, I don't. Nobody's got an offense like Tennessee, and I don't even know Joe Milton can, you know, hit the side of a barn by that stage of the season. I mean, the guy's been, you know, wildly sporadic. I was watching some highlight Indiana's greatest games. Indiana beat, you know, Joe Milton in Michigan like three or four years ago. The guy's been inconsistent. So I, I don't know. Tennessee may not even be a factor, like you said. They could have two or three losses, and they might have a new quarterback by then. I don't know. But my only thought is you're not going to push the pocket the same. You're still going to push the pocket because, to your point, this is still a super talented defensive line, probably arguably as good if not better than any in the league. But you're taking away what I believe is one of the best defensive tackles that college football has seen in the last 25 years. I put him in the top three or four. He was that dynamic. And what happens next? We'll certainly find out. It's our uh, Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily. Don't forget, Georgia Farm Bureau, living, working, participating in life and communities just like yours across the great state of Georgia. They understand what it means to be a Georgian. They understand the things that you're interested in, the things that you care about, and they want to provide for you as you go about you know, working and taking your kids to sports and all the things that kind of go on uh, in your life each and every day. And they want to provide you great insurance products as you go through them tomorrow home insurance i'm talking about life insurance i'm talking about auto insurance all of that available for you you've heard me say before that georgia farm bureau is always the home team when you check them out online at gfbinsurance.com you can find out about that there as well they are as excited about the start of the football season coming up as anybody in our you know uh uh, on our team here and our audience is uh they love it and they love being a part of it with you and they want to provide you great service for your all your insurance needs so find them online at gfbinsurance.com that's gfbinsurance.com georgia farm bureau is always the home team mike i'll give you kind of an overarching question here to kind of wrap things up today kirby smart told us saturday that in his mind the fall camp portion of the preseason had ended georgia kind of moving on to the next phase here so now that it's all said and done what did we learn from georgia during fall camp 
Well, Kirby Smart said they're behind where they were the last two years. That's what the head coach said. Now, whether that's coach speak or not, I, I don't really know. Um, I thought it was interesting that he emphasized that the other quarterbacks are going to continue to get number one reps and compete. Um, to me, that kind of lays the foundation that we'll probably see two or three quarterbacks play in the first two games of the season. Now, is that uh, window dressing to keep everybody happy? Or is Kirby wondering in the back of his mind if down the road um, – there's, there's a chance we might see more than one quarterback this season. I don't, I don't know the answers to those questions. That begged questions to me. The way he phrased it, saying, well, kind of experience and reps was kind of the difference. He didn't say Carson was head and shoulders better. He didn't say Carson Beck really leads the team. He didn't say, he didn't say those things. He said experience was the difference. And that, that didn't motivate it. It made me go, oh, wow. You know, that made me go, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Let's stay tuned, right? That was kind of my take, stay tuned now. Carson Beck might go out there and throw for 500 yards in the opener and win a Heisman Trophy this year. I have no idea. I think the quarterback situation, I'm not going to say it's unsettled because Carson is the starter, but I'll say nothing would surprise me. I'd just say nothing would surprise me because Kirby left it that open. He just It felt very vague. Carson's, and, and the other thing Brandon was interesting is he, he actually told the quarterbacks early in the week, scrimmage two had nothing to do with this. Yeah. Scrimmage one – he was unhappy with all of them. So I thought it was really interesting the way it played out. And I'm, I'm still just kind of, you know, like, hmm, this is all interesting to me. I want to see how this, I want to see how they look in games. You go back and read everything he said. It was just, I don't know, it was muddled. It wasn't clear cut. It wasn't like last year it was all stat or the year before it was all JT or the year before it was muddled. It was kind of like 2020, right? Dwan ends up starting. You know, um, it's funny. I was uh, going, I did a story today on back. Uh, you know, him saying he thought about transferring last year and a lot of, you know, teams contacted him. And Aaron Murray watched the 2020 practice, and he said the guy that really impressed him the most was Carson Beck. In 2020, he said, now, Dwan did some really good things. This is a guy to watch. And he said, I'll be interested to, say J- I'll be interested to see JT Daniels. Didn't even mention Stetson Bennett. It's just, it just so the Georgia quarterback situation is always interesting to me. Hey, as long as they keep winning games, I don't think anybody really cares. But I think this is a fascinating time uh, in the offensive backfield, whether we're talking quarterbacks, uh, you know, Andrew Paul. We're hearing his name a lot, Brandon. Hearing his name a lot. We're seeing highlights of him. Is Kendall going to play? I don't know. Kirby says, well, he's been out a long time. Well, we know that, Coach. Why did you feel like you had to say it that way? Right? There's just a lot of, you know, Branson Robinson hadn't been hit yet. He's looking better. I haven't heard Dejon Edwards' name very much at all. So there's to me the Georgia offensive backfield is just a uh, a just a, a cloud of mystery. I nothing I don't know who the leading rusher is going to be. I'm not exactly sure what happens with the quarterback situation. Um, a lot of talented players. Uh, plenty of time to figure it out. But to me, that's probably the most interesting facet is that offensive backfield. Mike, we'll certainly be looking forward to reading a bunch from you there at dognation.com and all these subjects and a whole lot more. And uh, seeing you in Athens here coming up in just a couple of weeks there as well. Thank you for being a part of this uh, Georgia Farm Bureau practice report here today. And we'll see you soon, very uh, very soon, back here on Dog Nation Daily again as well. All right, look forward to it. Thanks, man. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I mean, I think the quarterback stuff is obviously, you know, pretty fascinating. But we also saw, you know, Kirby Smart step up, I believe, speak clearly about that, you know, on Saturday, naming back as the starter, something that Kirby has not always done prior to seasons. But as I said before, you know, he's typically okay about being candid about how some of that's uh, kind of playing out there. And that was the candor that led him to name you know, Beck as the starter. And I do believe that what Mike says kind of lines up with some of what I'd heard too, which is going into the scrimmage, you sort of already knew if you were around that Georgia program that Beck was going to be treated as the number one quarterback during all of that, uh, that a lot of this was kind of building to that. And Saturday was the next phase of that. And that's kind of what led Kirby, I, I guess, to make the announcement that he made when all of that was said and done. And ultimately, my expectation here is, assuming performance-wise, this is you know called into question, or injury-wise, it gets called into question, Moving forward here, I think you're going to see Georgia treat its quarterbacks in kind of a tr- traditional manner. The Carson Beck's going to be treated like the starter, and he's going to get the starter reps deep into you know the second half of games. In most cases, even these games against like the UT Martins and the whatnots, uh, because that's what you typically do with your starting quarterback. And if Brock Vandriff holds on to be the number two quarterback, then he will get the kind of 
snaps and and opportunities typically reserved for a number two quarterback there's always a pocket of georgia fans who want georgia to use like the second half of games as kind of a sort of a preview for like next year's g-day and georgia's just never going to do that most teams are never going to do that that there is not an open audition for the 2024 quarterback during the 2023 season that's just not how it works by the way carson beck we should remember it could come back next year too and may, perhaps he will so you know that's the other factor on, on all of that but my expectation a lot of this sort of plays out like the last couple of years have now if you're georgia you hope the end of the season result plays out that way too but in terms of the how the quarterback thing goes where you know beck's the starter last year he was the backup people wanted to see him more now the now he's the starter people are going to be tired of that they want to see the next guy vandegrift or gunner or whoever else but ultimately george is going to treat its backup quarterbacks whether pretty much every team treats its backup quarterbacks unless some sort of injury thing or some sort of performance thing becomes a factor in all of that i don't think you'll see georgia depart from its typical protocol on the quarterback situation but but we will see and i would say i'm even more sure of that given the announcement that kirby made on saturday and with that said let's go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean here right now and let's get you excited i've been hearing from some folks our comment section has been buzzing about this signups continue every single day for that dog nation cruise april 22nd through the 26th on board allure of the seas this is an oasis class ship one of the largest ships at sea that means the dog nation cruise for 2024 going to be bigger and better than it's ever been and that means we need you on board to enjoy it the oasis class ships like allure of the seas have so many specialty restaurants fun bars and lounges entertainment options on board special shows remember one of the things that the oasis class ship has just as a for instance the back of the ship you have what's called the aqua theater it's like an amphitheater open air uh, right in the back of the ship it's where the high diving show takes place and I've, I've been on a couple of different oasis class ships and so i've seen a couple of the uh you know the various aqua theater style shows one of the best forms of entertainment you'll ever see i mean it really is amazing while the ship is moving at sea and these folks get i don't know how tall it is it looks like 50 60 feet whatever something along those lines and that may not be the quite that may not be the quite you know the, the distance whatever but it's really 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 high in the air diving from way up there down into the water it's an amazing show it's the kind of things that the oasis class ships provide and that's the kind of ship we're going to be on board this april so go to royaldogs.com a great travel agent named jessica slater she's got that uh, website for you to help you get booked up for the dog nation cruise royaldogs.com for more on that all right update on the first big game of the season next thursday florida lousy stinking gators going to salt lake city to take on the utah utes now there has been some massive massive point spread movement in this game there are these things in the early portion of the year certainly early portion of the spring and summer called look ahead lines they are games of the year big games that are going to generate a lot of interest a lot of point spreads will be placed on these big games as a way of just kind of getting some attention for the sports books and you typically reserve low limit betting for this you can't go bet big dollars on a football game five months from now i'm not sure you'd want to anyway but you can't it's typically a low limit bet as the game gets closer you take more action larger bets on games but if you want to follow where the point spread for florida utah has been to where it is now you see a remarkable evolution here for a long time during the spring and summer utah had been about a 10 or a 10 and a half point favorite against florida in some cases it got up to close to 11 i think i think we saw some 11s at one point in time well now you have seen a dramatic about phase utah as we've been telling you is been has been dealing with a significant series of quarterback injuries most prominently cam rising the terrific utah quarterback injured in last year's bowl game but his backup is apparently also hurt too now there is a possibility that rising plays but there's also a growing sense that he might not as we get closer to game time uh kyle whittingham the utah coach is notorious for not revealing much about these kinds of injuries so he's not saying much about rising right now but the general sense obviously based on the point spread movement because now a line that was at one point in time 10 10 and a half is down to about four and a half now um if you go look at this um there is belief that rising won't play the backup may be in trouble utah may be down to its third string and then finally you know two quarterback injuries that might be enough for florida to actually have a quarterback advantage for a change with the wisconsin transfer graham mertz making his first start for the lousy stinking gators now i'm gonna tell you right now my general feeling about this all of this feels like a dramatic overreaction when the ten and a half point line was placed the status of rising was unknown there at the moment 
So this is not one of those situations where we're only just now finding about the rising injury. Uh, the rising's been hurt the entire calendar year as it is. The backup quarterback is obviously a, a little bit of a new thing, but a backup quarterback does not move a line three points. It just doesn't. Uh, Cam Rising, I'm not quite so sure, is worth moving a line by a touchdown. The, there's a certain degree of his injury was already probably kind of baked into this spread as it was, but the overall take here, if you're a Gators fan, all of a sudden this game feels like one of those games you might have a little bit more of a chance of winning. All of a sudden now the pressure kind of builds on Billy Napier. It's one thing to go out and lose to a potential like Rose Bowl type team in the Pac-12 when they're playing in their own stadium, but if they've got two quarterback injuries and you still can't find a way to win, then all of a sudden a forgivable loss becomes the kind of thing you have to wear uh, a little bit more. So this game's fascinating to me right now. Um, I think the line movement here, the only, the only right choice is to fall all over Utah. Did you love him at 10.5? Perhaps you didn't. If you don't love him at 4.5, I don't quite know what you're looking at here. So we got plenty of time to figure this out between now and next Thursday. But that is a very, very interesting scenario in terms of the, the movement, the shift, and the direction of the Gators for that big non-conference game next Thursday night. Speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, massive criticism right now for Netflix. Now, let me be full disclosure here for a moment. I hate Netflix. For a long time, I didn't have Netflix. And then a couple of years ago, um, got it because um, there's this like Christmas movie my kids like, and so we you know got it so we netflix we could watch this particular movie like i've been a subscriber like disney plus and hbo so i've got plenty of the subscriptions just for a long time until like two years ago did not have netflix and the two years that i've had it and i don't mean to overstate this i mean this bluntly i haven't seen one thing on netflix that i've liked not one thing um i find their documentaries to be childish i find their dramas to be vapid i find the content on netflix to be of a very very low quality and if netflix went off my tv tomorrow i'm not sure i'd ever really miss it i I just don't think i don't think any of the content's very good i love the pga tour i thought full swing was boring and pretty much that's kind of the that's just the vibe i get from almost everything on netflix nothing is quite as good as it should be in almost any kind of comparative series on like say hbo or i guess it's called max now uh, almost any comparative series on hbo or now max way better to me than netflix i just think i think that netflix is pretty low quality content so that's my backstory on this now the florida documentary is sort of an example of that you want to talk about a whitewashing of an era uh and this florida documentary is called swamp kings i believe and it's kind of looking back at the urban meyer championship run there at florida and listen i'm glad florida has this you know this you know dust off this old relic of uh, a history and kind of go back in time and relive your glory days which all of a sudden now was a long, long time ago. So I'm glad that Florida fans have this to kind of keep themselves company because not quite so sure this season is going to provide them very many happy memories. So you might as well go back and reach to your now distant past to find whatever memories you can. But while Florida was winning this championship with Tim Tebow, obviously a compelling figure, I won't deny that, there's also a lot of controversial things going around the Florida program too. My understanding is based on the chatter that's out there, none of this is touched by the Netflix documentary at all. There's almost no mention of Aaron Hernandez, at least the Aaron Hernandez as we know him, which Netflix has also made a documentary about. You know, this idea that he doesn't get mentioned in this documentary when they made another documentary about the other, you know, murders that uh, Hernandez is alleged to have been a part of or convicted to be a part of whatever the whatever the proper phrasing there and that no mention of the Pouncy twins no mention of really anything as it relates to any of the real stuff going on with Florida there at that time and the other thing and Alabama fans are all over themselves about this and on this particular case I'll side with the Alabama fans this idea that when Florida lost to Alabama in the 2009 SEC championship it gets spun by Tebow during the documentary as it's been relayed to me i haven't seen it my eyes won't look at it but it's been relayed to me that tebow sells this as florida lost the game because florida had everything to lose alabama had nothing to lose and therefore they were able to play looser than florida was allowed to play but the truth is and you'll remember this florida was ranked number one going into that 2009 sec championship but alabama was also undefeated they were ranked number two the idea they were some gigantic underdog that 
uh, was take advantage of, uh, hey, we got nothing to lose type mentality going into a game like that. I can promise you the Alabama sideline, I was at the uh, Georgia Dome that day for that year's SEC championship. I can promise you they didn't view that the same way. You know, they viewed that as their moment. Our buddy Mike Johnson played in that game. In fact, Mike would be a fun one to ask uh, exactly uh, how it was that Alabama viewed that. My guess is they won't agree with Tim Tebow's assessment. So the point is, let me do you the biggest favor I'll do for you all week. Don't waste your time with this garbage from Netflix. It's been universally panned as a very small snapshot of a team that admittedly had a lot, that admittedly had a lot of interesting figures and characters on it, but none of the interesting stuff actually portrayed in this Netflix documentary. It is simply boring because all it does is tell a tiny snapshot of what was actually going on. So I'm not even sure it's worth anyone's time. I'm sure Florida fans will like it because it's all they got. But for the rest of us, we're probably best left skipping this and instead watching Florida lose at Utah next week. Uh, Five-star prospect Edric Houston made his college decision yesterday. No huge surprise here, I don't think. Uh, Georgia not really a factor in this. Houston goes to Ohio State, the place that he was sort of expected to go overall. But count me in the group, and I've said this before, at some point in time, we need to have a more serious conversation about all these Gwinnett kind of guys, in this case, another Buford player, who are getting away and going other places. Had a chance to interview Mike Matthews on Saturday, the uh, outstanding Parkview wide receiver, and I'm telling you right now, you'll like him off the field as much as you like him on the field. I'm a huge fan of his game. I think he's incredibly entertaining uh, to watch, and off the field, he comes across just a really good dude. Willing blocker, plays both sides of the ball, even for a 7A team, just a really solid, salt-of-the-earth type guy. And that's a guy that never really strongly considered George. Now, ultimately, this is not hurting George's recruiting efforts. George is still collecting elite classes. And they have, of course, won the last two national championships. They're going to win again here this year, I believe. But at a certain point in time, one county with so many elite players and such a large number of those elite players, either in the case of Houston and Matthews, never seriously considered Georgia, or in other cases, guys who do consider still go elsewhere, at a certain point in time, having a little bit more of a substantial conversation about exactly why that is, I think that's probably a, uh, an appropriate thing to do. A couple of other stories here real quick, or actually let's just do, yeah, two more stories real quick. So this doesn't matter to you, but I do think it's interesting. There's a guy named Lee Fitting, who's longtime producer of ESPN's College Game Bay, and apparently he is also out at the network. And I'm not going to make too big of a deal about a behind-the-scenes guy no longer working on ESPN's College Game Day, but it is another example of what we're seeing here. ESPN, y'all, is not what it once was. It's just not. And... If you're the SEC, you have got to be aware of this, that the power and prestige that the worldwide leader in sports once had has kind of gone away. And ESPN's future right now is pretty murky. Do they get spun off and bought by somebody else? You know, do they make the shift from what is right now the traditional cable model where they get paid by the subscribers to cable while also making some advertising money? Or do they try to make a shift into in the next five years to what you call like over the top where they're kind of offering an a la carte option people can pay espn directly to consume the product uh typically those kinds of transitions are not without some bumps in the road and when you see all of the you know personnel both on camera and behind the scenes who are gone from espn this is a organization that has diminished in prestige here the last couple of years and moving forward it's the only media partner the sec is going to have the strength of, of ESPN, what it can do to protect its strength, what it can do to add to its strength, something it desperately needs to do. That's an important SEC-related topic here right now. SEC needs a strong ESPN, and seemingly ESPN is getting weaker by the day. You don't care about this either, but I'll tell you this is kind of a footnote to this. Technically speaking right now, there's actually greater clearance for FS1 than ESPN. In other words, the cable network FS1, that's Fox Sports 1, is actually in a tiny fragment more homes right now through the traditional cable model than ESPN is. That's an example of where ESPN once was to kind of where it is right now. Uh, around 70 million subscribers uh, to its uh, to its networks. Uh, a little bit of a tricky situation here moving forward. That's worth watching. And then finally, a couple of Pac-12 quarterback announcements worth noting. DJ Uyunglele, the former Clemson quarterback, now to Oregon State. He has been named the starter there in Corvallis and uh, Jaden Rashada you'll remember him as the quarterback supposed to go to Florida exorbitant NIL rumors uh it was you know said by Rashada that Florida could not give him the money they promised him Florida folks have a little bit of a different spin on that in terms of who actually promised that money but one way or another Rashada ended up at Arizona State very young quarterback by the way for a very young head coach in Kenny Dillingham and 
out west in Tempe, Sparky has announced that Rashada will be the Sun Devil starting quarterback. So a couple of quarterbacks you've heard of, DJ Uyunglele going to start for Oregon State, Jaden Rashada, the former elite uh, recruit, going to start for Arizona State, and we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, a couple of notes here for a moment. First of all, make sure you try yourself some finished long drink here right now, and our buddy Jeff Sintel has been on a search for the long drink peach-flavored version, he found some. So, uh, he has found some. He's enjoying it. Our, our buddy Michael Carvel wants to try some of that there as well. So uh, listen, go to thelongdrink.com. Put in your zip code. That'll tell you where you can pick some up. And I still like the traditional. I'm just like an old school guy, I guess. My favorite is still grapefruit gin kick. I just like that. That's just a good mixed drink, especially when you're outside. And if you're not familiar by now, hopefully you are. The finished long drink is a ready-to-drink cocktail. It's essentially a mixed drink in a can. So the grapefruit, citrus with the gin, still my kind of favorite, but people love that peach flavored right now. Jeff has tried it. He loves it. You can go to thelongdrink.com. You can try it for yourself. And as you're enjoying the start to tailgate season here coming up, I think the finished long drink, a pretty good thing to pack into that cooler as you head out there on game day. Now, speaking of tailgate and having a good time and enjoying happy hour and everything like that, don't forget, uh, tomorrow, Dog Nation Happy Hour, presented by Marlowe's Tavern, that returns to our buddy Katie Mann's I should say our buddy Kaylee Manziel, uh, easy for me to say, Kaylee Manziel hosting once again. And then next Thursday, Kaylee going to be on hand live along with so many of the rest of us from Dog Nation at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven for a live broadcast of the Dog Nation Happy Hour presented by Marlowe's Tavern at Marlowe's Tavern, the Marlowe's there in Brookhaven. That's next Thursday, August 31st. We're going to do a kind of a happy hour hangout at 5 p.m., live broadcast of the show at 6 p.m., which next Thursday is a different time. Normally, the show airs at 7 p.m. tomorrow night. That'll be when it's on. But next Thursday at a different time, 6 p.m. for the broadcast, 5 p.m. for a little happy hour hangout. Let me tell you something. There's no telling what's going to happen on air next week when you got a, a little happy hour hangout and a live broadcast the show. It could get a little wild in person next week at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. So I hope you'll tune out to f- tune in to find more about that next week. Dog Nation Happy Hour live for the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. We can't wait to see you there. All right, for our golden shoe, this is very funny. I'm going to send you this guy's Twitter to sort of see this for yourself. Uh, Austin Kilby sent this in to us here. So yesterday we we're talking about uh, Lou Holtz, and I have like a weird nostalgia for back when Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz was sharing like the worst opinions ever uh, on uh, ESPN late at night, uh, the game day final show, whatever it was called. So Holtz was always saying crazy stuff, and yesterday we brought this up because he's got a preseason rankings that it gets published somewhere, and he had Georgia number five on this. Uh, on his preseason ranking which is kind of bulletin more material but also kind of funny because it's just more in a long string of just horrible takes for Lou Holtz who kind of comes across as a pretty good dude but has some pretty wretched college football takes through the decades well anyway Austin Kilby shared this and said BA you mentioned Lou Holtz in your show yesterday never forget this uh, comedic gem it was spot on impersonation so what it is is Pat McAfee during one of those uh, sort of extra broadcasts of the Georgia TCU game bringing on a guy doing the Holtz impersonation and it was very funny if you check out uh, Austin Kilby on Twitter uh, you can see that we'll give Austin a golden shoe for that today appreciate him sharing that very funny stuff and of course our Gator Hater Countdown speaking of the lousy stinking Gators Netflix may not have the guts to tell the truth about Florida but around here we do 66 days from now a bad day for the Gators gets even worse when uh, Georgia beats up on them there in the cocktail party we'll see you back here tomorrow Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Management we will look forward to talking to you then